Hey, and welcome back to Giovanni Angelis Movies and More, where I talk about movies and more. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm here to talk about a series of films that is very near and dear to my heart and um, something that I've been wanting to review for a while now. So I'm very excited that I can finally get around to it. And that is the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So, I mean, obviously, um, there is a new Spider-Man movie on the way. It's only a couple days away at this point, and I couldn't be more excited. This is definitely the film that I've been looking forward to the most this year, and I can't wait to see it. Seriously, I am beyond excited for this movie. And because the anticipation is at an all-time high, and because there's basically confirmed rumors slash reports of the other two Spider-Men joining Tom Holland in this film... There's no better time to review the other uh, the other Spider-Man movies that I haven't reviewed. So we're going to start with the Raimi trilogy, and we're going to start with uh, Spider-Man 1. So all the way back in 2002, this movie was a total game changer. Um, it was a movie that was just loud and proud about its comic book influences. Before that, comic book movies were kind of looked down upon as a genre and a lot of times specifically because of the comic book aspects i mean if you think about stuff like blade x-men that's stuff that's very deliberately shying away from the more overtly comic book aspects of the source material they're taking you know a handful of of like aspects of it but you know there's no yellow suits no spandex no um you know no no crazy uh, crazy vehicles or crazy space missions or like anything like that it's all very stripped down it's black leather and um, and you know that that's kind of cool for its own way it's kind of got its its own place in the history of superhero movies but um, but this this is something that comes in and is just loud and bombastic it's totally unashamed of its comic book influences and it knows that it's gonna work not in spite of them but because of them it's wearing them on its sleeve, and I think that's the best thing about this movie. Uh, particularly now, I think you can really feel like just the singular vision for this movie, and its very unique charm and unique sense of humor, and um, just the Sam Raimi-ness of this movie is perfect. You can tell that he really loves this stuff, and that he just wanted to take everything that he saw from the comic book page onto the big screen, and it obviously paid off in tremendous ways. I really don't think you can oversell how influential this movie has been. We're still living under a shadow. I don't think you get an MCU without this movie, and certainly not one that looks like how we know it today. So I think this is really an important um, milestone in the history of superhero movies, and I really, really enjoy it, enjoy it, and I always have. Um, this is one that I think is, is up there in terms of my rankings of Spider-Man movies. I don't know, that might be something fun to do after I see Far From Home. Although, I don't know, it might be too fresh. It'd be hard to give a really definitive ranking. But either way, um, I think this is one of the ones that ranks close to the top. And I think a big part of that is because of how much it's reveling in its comic book roots and how much it's just like a, a pretty perfect translation of the page to the screen. But I think... Another big part about it is uh, how invested you are in Peter as a character, and that's something that carries over into the second one in particular, but for this one, I think the fact that the origin story is interesting and engaging and emotional and heartfelt, that is what really carries you through a large portion of this movie. Um, there's a lot of movies that I think in terms, like specifically origin story movies, where the origin part can feel kind of boring, where you're sort of checking your watch, waiting for, all right, when is this guy going to put on the damn costume already? But this is a movie where I don't feel like you ever get that sense. And, I mean, it's understandable that now 
origin stories aren't really something that we get excited for anymore because we are at a point where we can just hit the ground running and we know what's going on and it's like superheroes aren't a completely foreign concept to us but at this point in time in 2002 they kind of were so it makes sense that you have um you know you're you're taking the origin approach and i think that if you're gonna do it this is the best way to do it we really get a sense of this world from the start and we really get a sense of who peter is and his friends and his family the things that he cares about and the things that are important to him and just like where he's at in his life and why he's feeling the things that he's feeling and how that leads into him becoming the hero on the poster i think all that is extremely well done and um I think that one of the best things about this also is that it's just a generally, genuinely fun time. It is just a blast from beginning to end. I think that at a certain point in this movie, it's just impossible to not have a good time. It's just full of entertaining characters and memorable moments, really cool action sequences, and it's just like a blast to watch. I think that Sam Raimi brings uh, a kind of corny, goofy charm to this movie that can't really be replicated, and I think that that is something that is really, really... Uh, like obvious going back to rewatch these movies now when we're in a landscape where a lot of comic book movies especially mcu movies all have a similar look and feel you can all tell that they're of a piece with one another and there's not many that have a distinctly singular vision i would say outside of guardians of the galaxy and um like thor ragnarok and soon to be thor love and thunder it's kind of hard to tell who directed one or the other there's not a lot of things that kind of push them apart from each other but this this is totally its own thing this world that sam raimi created is totally you know it's it's his own it's got his fingerprints all over it and like this iteration of spider-man and his cast of characters is ripped right out of the lee and ditko stuff and it's perfect i love it in terms of uh, you want to talk about perfection page to screen oh my god we can't get through these this review without talking about j jonah jameson I think this is my favorite J.K. Simmons role, despite having seen him give many better performances in better in many like you know like objectively better movies. But I don't think he's as entertaining anywhere else than these movies. He is so good. the The movies, you know, they they kind of have their ups and flows. They have their ups and downs. There's there's good moments. There's bad moments. There's really bad moments. But no matter what, he is a constant that is just perfect and everyone else in that office is too i love betty brant um robbie robertson is great uh sam's brother ted ramey as um whatever the what, what's that guy's name hoffman um i just i love them and i love the the weird little world that we're dropped into every once in a while throughout these movies of like this crazy dude and his his you know cast of characters in this editorial staff i really really like this and i like the way peter plays off of him and stuff he's just got so many memorable lines and the look is perfect it's just oh man i'm really excited that he's back in the movies i can't wait to see him again i don't know if you can top a lot of the lines that he has in this because it's just they're just ridiculous like <laughs> meat i said a nice box of christmas meat like what the fuck where did that come from but it's perfect i love it it's really really great um it's some of the funniest moments in all three movies and uh I also like that in particular with this one, he has a heart, and you can tell that there is a part of him that is a good person, that's not just a total shithead all the time, because he doesn't sell Peter out, he he says, I don't know who he is, this stuff comes through the mail, like, he's still trying to protect the, the people that work for him, even though when they are working for him, he's treating them like shit, but you know you can tell that he's not all bad all the time and i like that they had this just that one layer of uh like a, of an extra aspect to his character 
So yeah, this is a great movie. I really, really enjoy it. I think that everything about it comes together really well. It's endlessly entertaining. I could watch it a hundred more times. Uh, Willem Dafoe is a great villain in The Green Goblin. He imbues that character with so much, um, like, just menace and, and um, goofiness at times. And also, you know, he can be very emotional. Uh, a lot of the moments where he has to play, like, Norman on the brink of becoming the goblin, like, before that transformation has happened, where he's pleading with the board members and being, like, you know, uh, you know back to formula, that whole thing. And then he's eventually he's he's talking to them about like max please you know like he's like telling about how much he sacrificed for this company and all this stuff he plays all aspects of this character really well and uh i really like the moments where he pops up in later movies so yeah i'm very excited to see him in the new one as well now we get to spider-man 2 which in my opinion is the pinnacle of this series i know hot take but let me tell you why I think the most important thing about this movie is that it gets Peter Parker right, like perfectly right. And the fact that we understand the type of shit that he has to deal with day in and day out and how his life is just an endless shitstorm, it really puts you in his mindset and helps you understand why when it, you know, when it just reaches this breaking point and he starts to lose his powers and everything starts to kind of come crashing down that he decides, you know what, no, I'm batting away uncle ben's hand i am not doing this this is no longer my responsibility you understand why he does it and i love how many moments there are of showing the contrast between like his life as spider-man and his life as peter parker and how those lives just don't work well together and how spider-man is constantly interfering with his life as peter parker it's ruining his romantic relationships it's ruining his friendships it's ruining his job his his schooling like everything is worse because of spider-man and i think that that is just such a very very important aspect of this movie that it just gets so right and the amount of times that you see it how how firmly it's hammered home that this is just this has just made his existence so much worse since spider-man entered his life and why it's all too easy to just give it up and try to walk away at a certain point i think that all of that is really the heart and soul of this movie and it's so well done that arc is just pitch perfect and the villain also this is my favorite spider-man villain uh at least of the original trilogy probably of any of the movies thus far i don't know kingpin and spider-verse is really good as well i really like vulture and mysterio they do those those pretty well Sandman is up there for me as well. I think that they do a lot of really great stuff with him, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, for now, Doc Ock is a perfect Spider-Man villain because he is a dark mirror of Peter Parker. He is a guy who has pretty much everything Peter wants. He's a has a career as a successful scientist. He has the girl of his dreams. He's able to balance his work and life to a degree that's much, much better than, than Peter ever could. And... Um, he idolizes him. Peter really looks up to Otto in a lot of ways. You know how starstruck he is at first, and you, you know, he's got all these questions for him, and he's, and he wants to talk to him, and and um, and I think then what you see is the two different reactions to um, a really traumatic experience. Like you know, Peter obviously, they, Peter and Otto are both products of science experiments gone wrong. That's how they get their their special abilities, and they both have a really extreme trauma in their life. Otto, um, Otto loses his wife, and he loses the project of his dreams, and um, uh, Peter loses Uncle Ben, and he loses the life that he wants. And you see how, um, you know, how Peter 
Peter is contrasted so well against Dr. Octopus because um, Doc Ock is a guy who is driven so much by his own pain and driven so much by his own selfish goals that he's willing to drag everyone along with it and he's willing to hurt people along the way to get what he wants. He's just so consumed by all of those things and with the help of the arms that only amplifies it and he's just gone down this totally dark path. He's forgotten everything that he told Peter he stood for. And at the end, when Peter has to reason with him and try to snap out of him and snap him out of it and bring the man uh, in, back out instead of the monster, I it's just, it's awesome. It's the perfect villain for Spider-Man to fight. I love that it's a situation that he can't punch his way out of, that it, in the end, it comes down to him using compassion and appealing the humanity somewhere still in this guy. Um, I think it's just like the perfect ending and it's... It's great that it ends with a self-sacrifice rather than, you know, Peter just having a, a punch-up with a guy. It's something more than that. And the, a lot of the themes that it's exploring, it's just, man, it's really, really well done. And I um, I think that that is such a big part of why this movie is as good as it is. The villain and the central hero's arcs are both so well done and they complement each other so well that it's just, it's perfect. It's a great, great Spider-Man story. I think the only part of this movie that is severely lacking for me is, um, unfortunately, Mary Jane. I think that she is easily the worst character in all three movies, and I think that a big part of that is the writing. They don't give her a lot of stuff that sounds natural, and a lot of times her dialogue with Peter, you know, they're flirting and stuff, it's just very awkward, and I don't think they have very good chemistry. I don't know if that's like a hot take or not, but I really don't think they play well off each other. Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst, they just they just don't really come across very well together on screen. And like I said, I think a big part of that is the writing and how how awkward so much of it is. But a lot of the times she just seems like very bitchy and just angry at him. And he just seems like overly dopey. And I get that, that especially with the dopey part, that's a lot of the times the point. But just there's never a moment where, you know, they get to be like emotionally honest with each other and they get like the chance to finally click and figure out their dynamic and the way that they talk to each other and interact with each other. I mean, the movie's like, they attempt this to some degree, but like I was saying, I think because a lot of it is so awkward and so weirdly, like, corny and like the, you're gonna light up Broadway is just like one of the moments that I can think of with this. It's just like, it just doesn't totally come together for me. And I think another big part of it is how wishy-washy she is in this movie. She is an asshole to Peter Parker. She is a truly despicable person in this movie. I mean, she's she's basically two-timing both of these guys and stringing them along, and she's going to marry one of them. And it almost seems like she does that to spite Peter, which is obviously just not a good reason to marry anyone. There's a deleted scene that's in the extended cut of this movie where she's talking to one of her friends from the play about, you know, why she's going with John. And you can sort of see that she's not entirely sure that she wants to do this, but she's trying to convince herself that she does because she doesn't want to want Peter anymore. I think that's uh, an important layer that's really missing from this because as it is, it just seems like she's changing her motivation scene to scene. And that's not really fun to watch, and it doesn't really lead to her being a character that you like or empathize with. So I think that's one of the biggest failings of this movie and of the third one. So yeah, let's let's get into the third one. This is um, this is a sore spot on this this franchise for sure. Um, this is something uh, that will always always really break my heart. I 
I truly, truly wish that Sam Raimi got to make at least three truly great Spider-Man movies, and I think he came pretty close. I don't think Spider-Man 3 is as bad as a lot of people do. I think, I think especially if you watch them all three back-to-back, the drop in quality is pretty severe, but the the tonal things and like a lot of the, a lot of the the weird touches don't seem as weird if you watch the rest of the movies. They all have this kind of corny charm, like I said before, and I don't think that it's that crazy. Like the third one compared to the first two, I really don't. But I do think that the story is a total mess, and that there is a lot of awkward and really cringy moments. And like I said, it always breaks my heart that he didn't get the opportunity to end this trilogy as strong as he began it. Because, I mean, I just a big problem with me and and the Spider-Man franchise is is Sony, and I think that's that's a thing for a lot of Spider-Man fans. They have been mismanaging this franchise for years, and it really really sucks. And um, I I just don't understand how after he delivered two monster hits with the first two movies that it's the third one where they decided, you know what, we're just going to get in there and metal. We're just going to go in there and turn your perfect vision into something like totally unrecognizable to you. And it's like, we're going to force you to include characters that you didn't want to include. And we're just, well, this guy's really hot right now. So why don't you put him in too? It's not as bad as it eventually got before Marvel Studios ultimately stepped in with that new partnership that really, really saved Spider-Man at a point where he desperately needed it. But I mean, you can see the seeds for what would eventually become Amazing Spider-Man 2. This movie is jammed with so much unnecessary shit, and I just don't understand how, like, this movie, uh, or Spider-Man 1, actually, is what I meant. Spider-Man 1, it, at the time, held a record for the biggest opening weekend of all time, and it was only beaten by its sequel. Now, I know that making a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good movie, but studios don't see that. Studios see the bottom line. And when you're seeing bottom lines this big, I don't understand how it's the third one where you're like, we're just going to fuck it all up. And and listen, I don't think that a lot of the ideas in this movie on their own are bad. I just think that when you jam them all together, it leaves an ultimately really unsatisfying uh, film experience. Like, okay. Venom. That's a character that Raimi didn't want to include. But you see, you know, you think of stuff like Evil Dead, or you you see um, that hospital sequence in Spider-Man 2, and you you think like, oh my god, this could be awesome. Sam Raimi helming Venom? You just, your mind races with the possibilities. That could be a match made in heaven. But the fact remains, Raimi didn't want to do him. And I totally get it. Venom is a character that has always turned me off as long as I've been a Spider-Man fan. Something about Venom's story is just they're really not appealing to me. So I totally understand where he's coming from. But if you are forced to include it, I don't understand how there wasn't some conversation along the way to be like, okay, can we maybe a little bit more naturally integrate this? Maybe we don't need it to be Eddie Brock. Maybe we don't need to kind of try to like loosely half-heartedly hit the beats of the original Venom saga. And I understand that like, yes, in terms of comic accuracy, it's pretty close. It, it hits most of the broad strokes, and 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 a lot of the imagery is consistent from page to screen. But it just doesn't fit this world, especially the way they so haphazardly and like just out of nowhere introduce the symbiote. And I think there's two ways that you could do this a lot better. Because, I mean, let's be honest, this universe is totally its own thing. It's very separate, and it's also as grounded. I feel like as a Spider-Man story could be. It doesn't involve any other superheroes or any magic or mortal vampires or any like trips to space. It's a pretty self-contained story that stays relatively ground level. So magical goop from space that falls out of the sky and attaches it to Spider-Man's scooter and then eventually, you know, overtakes him. And it just doesn't fit with this franchise. It just, it 
tonally it does not fit so I don't uh, there's two there's two ideas that I think would very easily fix this one you take the ultimate spider-man approach ultimate spider-man volume 6 is their adaptation of venom and you get Eddie Brock and he's like an old friend of Peter's that um, that they they haven't seen in, in years the Brocks were were friends of the Parkers uh, when when Ben or not Ben Parker um, Richard Parker was still alive and uh, they were working on a suit that was supposed to cure cancer. It was like a, it was a science experiment. And then, it, you know, it eventually goes wrong. And Eddie, in the process of trying to finish his father's work, uh, sets off an evil symbiote that wreaks havoc across the city. That just seems like such a better fit to this. I mean, the other two villains were science experiments. Other villains in this movie are science experiments gone wrong. I don't understand how, like that wasn't the approach that they took why wasn't it a science experiment gone wrong that would have made so much more sense for this version of the character the other thing that you could do and i think i actually like this even better is that john jameson brings it back from space if you have to do the space thing then i think that's a much better way to integrate it because we know john jameson's an, after, an astronaut we know he's been doing you know these these crazy highly publicized missions and I know it's not Eddie Brock, but who cares? He already has a built-in motivation to hate Peter Parker and Spider-Man because let's say he brings it back on a mission. It attaches itself to him. This rage that's been building up into, inside him, this turmoil that's been caused by Mary Jane, not only just you know dumping him, but leaving him at the altar, um, I mean, that, that could really mess somebody up. And the hatred that he would then feel towards Peter Parker I mean, that totally makes sense. You already have that built into the story so well. And um, like I said, I know it's not Eddie Brock, but really, who cares? Because that just makes so much more sense for the story. And I think that that could just be a much better way to do it. And this this thing consuming him and, and infusing him with rage towards Peter, and then he eventually realizes that, oh, shit, Peter and Spider-Man are the same person. You know, the, the, they're fucking up my life in, in both identities. It's time to go kill him. I just so much cleaner i really wish that something like that would have been attempted because it just it's such a more um clean plot line from two to three and then if you get into the stuff with like new goblin i i also think that's a really cool idea and a lot of the action sequences with new goblin are really well done the suit's ridiculous i think that that was a that was a mistake but this um this escalating conflict between two best friends and um, the, how this, this massive misunderstanding has just, you know, just driven a rift between them. That is really fertile ground for a really interesting story. And I just don't think they do anything interesting with it. The whole amnesia thing is so weird and stupid. And James Franco's performance is fascinatingly um, off in this movie. And then, um, then when you get to Sandman, it's like, that's definitely the best villain in the movie. I mean, there's so much stuff with him that's that's done very well. He's a great Spider-Man villain too, at least the interpretation of him in this. Um, he uh, he he has this this daughter that he's trying to provide for, and he's kind of stuck in an impossible situation that he doesn't see another way to get out of, other than crime. And um, and that's just that's such a that's such a great that's such a great thing to to include in this movie. That's such a great story to tell. I think that could be a really awesome awesome film if he was the main villain and you know he's not a bad person he's just doing bad things and he has a good reason for it and i think that you bring in that kind of aspect of spider-man being being a very empathetic very human hero 
that could work so perfectly for this. I don't like the idea that he was the actually Uncle Ben's killer, but I do think that it, it leads to some interesting moments and in how Peter has to ultimately forgive him and Sandman has to come to terms with, with what he's done. It, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of parts about it that, like I said, separately they work really well, but it's just because they're so haphazardly jammed together, it ultimately falls apart. And even Peter and MJ's relationship in this, I like that them finally being together means they have to try to mature as a couple. They can't be in this will they, won't they, you know, all these crazy adventures and like, is Peter Spider-Man, is he not? Oh my god, like all this stuff. They actually have to be a mature couple. They have to see what their relationship is going to look like separate from all of that. And I think they do a lot of stuff with that. They, they attempt some things that I think could be really cool, but because you can't focus on it because there's so much other shit in this movie and Gwen Stacy and and Sandman and and you know Venom and like all that stuff it just doesn't it just doesn't really stand out the way it should it doesn't take center stage it really just it gets kind of sidelined to a lot of other stuff that's just not being done very well so yeah unfortunately I think this ultimately falls apart which you know I mean you've seen the movie it's not great but I don't think that it's unenjoyable. I will say that. I think that this is a fun movie to watch. Um, I don't watch it as often as the other two, definitely not, but when I do watch it, I don't hate the experience. I'm, I'm annoyed by the fact that it could be so much better, but I don't hate watching it, so yeah, I don't know. Also, one more thing. I do feel like I shouldn't, I shouldn't try to, to end this review without at least touching on evil Tobey Maguire. Now, I get it. It's been me to death. It's very funny. But I think that even that had the potential to be something really, really interesting and really, um, like, something that really made sense for this story. Uh, I I really like um, Rosemary Harris and Cliff Robertson as Aunt May and Uncle Ben in these movies. And I think that the trend in the more recent ones to make them a lot younger is a really interesting but kind of odd decision because what you lose in that is the fact that Peter is kind of socially awkward and struggles a lot of the time with what to say and, and how to fit in because he's been raised by two people who are very old. You kind of lose that I was raised in a 1940s household thing that you get in the original interpretation of Spider-Man when you make his, you know, his, his parental figures only like 20 years older than him. I think that that um, the fact that you know he's he's only ever going to be able to get to be like 1950s cool, it, it doesn't work if you have you know younger versions of those characters. So I think like the idea of him snapping around and dancing and wearing all black and slicking his hair like that makes sense if to him a cool person is like you know I don't it's like a character out of Greece or something like that. Like I I like that they play with that idea of him kind of having misinformed ideas of what like a cool confident person would be and how this this venom suit kind of exploits that but they don't commit to the women being like what the hell is this guy doing sometimes they're like oh hey and then sometimes they're like oh gross and they needed to commit to it being the second one because that makes this make sense and that makes it a little bit less ridiculous if the film knows that he's being weird and and this is this is like a this is a strange behavior but because it can't decide whether or not he's cool it you kind of lose that idea that i thought was was um something interesting that they were playing with with it's like okay this is the super dorky guy who's always found it really hard to be like you know normal and not socially awkward and so he's like okay what's a cool guy and it's just it's kind of based on what he was raised on thinking was cool which is what was cool 
50 years ago. So, ah, yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of things about this movie, it's clumsy and awkward, and it could be a lot better. But, yeah, I don't know. I always wish that he got a better way to finish this trilogy, because I love Sam Raimi, and I love what he did with these movies, and I think that he really deserved so much better than this. But, yeah, man, if that wasn't... um a hell of a foreshadowing to what was to come with this franchise but yeah i mean i really do want to see more of this universe though i really really do as a as a comic as an animated series something man give me spider-man 4 in some form i really really would love it but yeah overall this is a uh, a very very great trilogy i really really enjoy watching it i watch it you know probably a couple times a year and i have a lot of fun every time the first two movies are tremendously important to me and the third one as well to some extent but they had a lot of influence on me as a, as a film fan, as a Spider-Man fan, as a superhero fan. Um, the first Spider-Man was the first PG-13 movie I ever saw. Um, they've just kind of been with me through my whole life, and I really, really love them. I know that it's going to be impossible for me to ever provide a review to you of this that isn't rose-tinted to some degree, but I think that's okay. I think the fact that nostalgia plays a lot of a role in how I feel about these movies is totally fine, as long as I acknowledge it, and I do really love these movies because they were so important to me as a kid, and they continue to be important to me now, and there's so many aspects of them that tell great Spider-Man stories, and I, I love this interpretation of the character through and through. I really, really do, and I truly, truly hope that those rumors are true, man. I would be so disappointed if they aren't. I really, really want to see more of this in the upcoming No Way Home, but only a couple more days, and we'll find out for sure. So, yeah, that's where I'm coming down on these movies. Uh, I'm going to forego the usual conclusions because this is already running really long and I don't want to take up too much of your time because I have already. Uh, I could babble on about Spider-Man forever, but you probably don't want to hear that. So anyway, uh, come back tomorrow because I will be reviewing the Amazing Spider-Man 2G. Uh, I don't know. Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 will be tomorrow's episode. And then I'll talk about the MCU movies and then I'll talk about No Way Home. So yeah, thank you as always for listening. And until next time, with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you.